0: This is a Double J podcast. For copyright reasons, the music has been edited. edited. To hear the full tracks, listen to The J Files, Thursday nights on Double J. Or head to doublej.net.au and click on the track list at the bottom of each episode.
1: Hey, it's Kestran here. Welcome to The J Files, the podcast for people who love music. Each episode we pick a different artist or band, we look at some of the most important moments in their career, and we celebrate their impact on music, all in less than 30 minutes. Sometimes we dig into a theme, like the music of a certain city, or the influence of a particular record label. On this episode, it's the genre known as Afrobeat. (laughs) A sound steeped in musical excellence and political activism that came out of West Africa and spread across the world.
2: Being able to be part of a band that is continuing that tradition that Vela started all those years ago and being able to present that to a new audience, to a new location, it's an honour to be able to do that.
1: Is at the root of just about all the contemporary music we love. It was multi instrumentalist and band leader Fela Kudi who coined the term Afrobeat in the 1960s. Fela drew on funk, jazz, and traditional West African sounds. With his drummer Tony Allen, he popularised Afrobeat in his home country Nigeria before taking it to the rest of the world. It's not just about the specific rhythms and percussion of Afrobeat. Fela Kuti was a fearless political activist who risked his life countless times to speak about government corruption and injustice. He wanted to empower, to inspire and tear down colonial systems of racism and oppression. This was something Fela Kuti spent his entire life fighting and nearly dying for. And music was his weapon. When Kuti's album Zombie criticised the Nigerian military, the government's retaliation was deadly. Nearly a thousand soldiers raided Fela Kuti's property. He was beaten, his home and music studio destroyed, and his mother, a legendary women's rights activist, was thrown from a second-story window and later died from her injuries. But Fela Kuti would not be suppressed. He continued to fight for the rights and freedoms of his African brothers and sisters. More than a million people attended his funeral in 1997, and his musical legacy lives on through his children, his grandchildren, and thousands of bands across the world. Femi Kuti is Fela's eldest son. He started playing in his father's band, Egypt 80, as a teenager. Here's Femi talking to Triple J's Ellie about his musical upbringing.
3: I mean, I remember when my father was playing High Life. We used to go to the club as kids. I remember when it changed slowly. When he came back from America, I remember his first hit, Jengoku. This was massive because all the shops in Lagos were playing it. I remember the hits that followed I remember the first police raid. I remember quite a lot. I remember how frightened we were as children or scared or traumatized. I remember he was huge. I remember him walking to the club and thousands of people would just follow him if he walked on the streets. Mm. So I remember quite a lot.
0: What was it like being um, like in those rehearsal spaces with your father working on new music?
3: I was very young then, so it was more just fun. And then I joined the band, of course. What struck me most was—I mean, I would come back from school, and he would be rehearsing, and he would give every single musician what to play, including the percussions, the drums, the sticks. And um, a lot of people um, have um, misunderstood thinking Tony Allen put the drum patterns himself. That was not true. He gave every, he was such a disciplinarian. Nobody could um, tamper with what he created. This is how strict he was. When I joined the band, I mean, it was really frightening. I mean, this huge, he was my father, but he felt like a giant in front of me and he completely changed. I mean, he would be all fun and games and then rehearsal starts, and he just changed. You couldn't play a wrong note, you couldn't be out of tune. I mean he just he he just everything just became so serious and scary. I mean, everybody was forced to sit up and play properly, and so he was like that.
0: Did you feel pressure being fellow son in, in those spaces?
3: Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, I remember my I joined when Royals came and he gave me the sax, but no teaching, really. And I used to play for my school band and everybody thought I was such a great saxophonist and I was so lousy. <laughs> I mean... I think when I look back, I should have been very ashamed of myself. <laughs> and there was, oh, because I was fellas, fella, so, oh, he can play. And then we get to the studio with Royas, and he says, Can you play? I said, Well, yes. And he gives me this very simple part to play from the track Africa Center of the World. So easy. I mean, right now, I would do it with my eyes closed, even in my dream. And It took me like an hour to get this. I was shaking. I mean, because his voice just was very intimidating. It was was so much pressure. Then slowly I said to fit into the band. I remember my first solo. It was in the University of Ileife, which is now Awolowo University in Nigeria. Thousands of students. And I come out to take a solo. Oh, gosh, I was frightened. So then as I said to fit in, it was... All praises. Oh, you are the greatest saxophonist. Oh, fellas on fellas on. And my father was now wrongfully jailed. And I moved back mm-hmm. to my mother's house. And my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, was like, What kind of lousy musician you are? And this was the great change in my life because all his fans were like just full of praises, and it did no good for me. I was just um I wasn't getting better as an instrumentalist or saxophonist, and my maternal grand. Grum- Grandmother grounded me. I mean, she brought me back to earth. And I just realized that, oh, I've been fooling my life because I was so arrogant, fellas son. Oh, everybody, I mean, then I was smoking and I was just the guy in town. Oh, you fellas band. Ah, and mm. says, Don't you don't come here, don't come to this house with this attitude. And ah, nobody ever talked to me like that in my life. But I think that was the talking that completely. Changed my life, and I'm very thankful to her for giving me that talking to.
0: You talked about being young and and having that fear, especially with your father performing and the way that the police and the government would constantly raid um, your home and and arrest your father for kind of benign claims. When you're writing music now that has uh, direct political. Um, critiques, do you have that fear for yourself now mm. as a grown man? Can you empathise with where, or do you still have that fear when you put music out?
3: No, I, I I don't have that fear anymore, but at the beginning, I had that fear, but I justified why I had to do what I had to do. I was living the pain. I was living the suffering. Uh, even as I was fella's son, mm. I saw my father be, He was a multimillionaire and he lost everything. We became very poor. And then I moved out of his house. I had to start my career again. I I had no support from my father when I moved out. And so I was feeling the pain. I was feeling my songs. I was living the daily life of majority of my people. So I could justify what I was singing about. So that was how I got rid of the fear. And I became courageous in singing what I, I sang about because I was passionate about what I was singing. We have no electricity. Mm. If I'm going to get beaten for saying I had no electricity, well, we have no electricity. There is yes. police brutality. If I'm going to get beaten because of that, there is. So as long as I was truthful in what I was saying, slowly but surely, the fear... I eradicated fear. Most people just want to live in peace. One problem now, government and bad policies.
0: Do you feel that that's the legacy that you're passing on to your son?
3: Yes, we stand by the truth. We stand by what we believe. We are passionate about what we do. And it's, it's our way of life in this family. Not just from my father, we have traced seven generations who are musicians. My great great grandfather was a musician, he was one of the first um, composers in West Africa. He composed for the BBC, he was a very righteous man. My grandfather composed many hymns and the national anthem of the Ogun State, Abekuta, where we come from. My father, we all know, his mother, we know.
0: Yeah.
3: Very. Activists fighting for women's rights stood firm with the market women, made sure women did not pay tax in Abekuta. So, this legacy is, whilst you grow up and you know this history, and you are forced to see corruption or injustice, I think it's automatically you just find yourself defending goodness. And when you see injustice, you are forced to speak out against it. Femi
1: Kuti's family have spent their lives speaking out, railing against injustice, government corruption and colonial oppression. Femi told Kechi it's an ongoing struggle to overthrow the devastating impacts of colonisation and slavery.
3: In my years, 40 years now, playing music and speaking, saying probably the same things, have tried to understand why things get worse.
4: Mm.
3: You have to understand the gravity of slavery. You have to understand the books we read said we sold ourselves, big lie. You have to understand these books said the colonial masters. So we are brainwashed that the people who came to colonize us, we already see them as masters. We become inferior. We have inferior complex. Our educational system does nothing to enlighten us or give us, teaches us about history before slavery or how great a heritage we have from Egypt that we have, I have read in books or my father read, teachings of Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, Patrice Lukmumba, Malcolm X. We don't read about these people. You only have to come out of school. So the people in the villages here are not opportune to have these books or have this information that was that is why my father is very relevant because he spoke the language of the people and he caught across and this was why he was a threat because he was awakening the average mind's mind and this became a threat you are not supposed to awaken their consciousness mm. they're not supposed to know this information they're supposed to be where they are don't don't awaken these people and that was why he became a threat So it's still a major problem. Now, this is, you're talking about a thousand years now of oppression, Mm. colonization, bad African governments. It's going to probably take us another 50 to 100 years to come out of this. So we just have to play our little part in doing our best to awaken as many people as we can. But it's a very tough job. I don't even believe it will happen in my lifetime. I don't think in my language. I don't, I don't speak my language friendly. I don't dream in my language. And there are millions of people like me who either dream in Portuguese, French, Spanish, English. And we were taught, even in my generation, to look down on our language. It was a taboo to speak it in in school. Mm. So these are the structures and these are the things we are still fighting. And even my children don't think in our language or dream in our language. English is still our, like our mother tongue right now, it's our language, but it's false because it's not true of our culture or our soul. So you see the, problems are grave and until we have an african government that recognizes the damage of all what i've spoken about we'll keep on going in circles fighting each other having ethnic problems where we should all be so sober and be thinking how do we overcome 1000 years of slavery
5: Ten, don't come my people yes. you ready to, ride. Uh-uh. to
0: <laughs>
1: Shayun Kuti is the youngest son of Fela Kuti. Like Femi, Shayun started playing in his father's band from a young age. When Fela died in 1997, Shayun became band leader of Egypt 80. In 2009, Shayun spoke to Andrew Ford on Rn's The Music Show about continuing his father's work.
5: You know, because my father died, you know, so he wasn't replaced. I think uh, after my father's death, the band just had to keep playing. Yeah. So I did, I don't really see it as a replacement. You know, I just see it as a feeling the position. Yes. You know, so, uh, and I've always been playing with the band. We've always been close. Uh, every member of the band is like family to me. So for me, it was nothing, uh, I wouldn't say, you know, there was no drama about it. No. So it was pretty, it was all we needed to do. You know, most people think that you know maybe I got the band together to do the album. No, the band and I we've been playing together for twelve years now.
4: They of course carry with them uh, a history, not just a musical history, but a political history, which was so much a part of your father's work uh, and a part of his music, and now part of your music. Is that something which you? talk to the band about the, the uh, is, is their experience of um nigerian politics across the last 40 50 years something which informs you your thinking your songwriting
5: well yeah definitely uh Afrobeat being what it is you know um politics uh, social issues are a very a very important part of of uh the lyrical composition of Afrobeats. and uh, not just people in the band. I feel generally, as Africans, the way things are in Africa affects everybody, you know. So the band and I, even when we discuss things, you know, everybody always uses uh, home as a reference, you know. Sometimes when we're on the road and we see how organized the West is, you know. I think things like that really reinforce our beliefs. Because for me, I feel Africa is richer than all you know, than than all the continents in the world, you know compared mm. in in terms of resources, and for us not to be able to be developed, you know it's a it's a big shame, and it's not an issue for Sheokuti and the egyptity alone. it should be an issue for the whole for the whole African continent, you know because it's not like a black black thing. Because they have they are not. Not only Africa has black people; there are black people everywhere in the world, you know. So it's not just an it's just not a, a black thing. It's an African thing that we have to change. And being Africans and African musicians especially have to realize that they have to be a voice for these people and their own people generally, and for the continent, you know, to drag us out of this this slavery system that they've put us this new new second slavery system that that's going on in africa today so they de- definitely looking at the society and uh, lives of my brothers and sisters all over africa you know it, it must generally define what's what i stand for and also coming from a very political background uh my father being who he is and the band having been so outspoken and confrontational with the government you know definitely they still have you know we still have traces of that uh of that rebellion in us, so definitely it's, it's... it's I don't see music changing, though, until there's change in the lives of people in Africa.
4: Have there been changes? Is it essentially the same issues that are uh, concerning you that were concerning your father? I, I mean, when Obasanjo burned down the compound where he played, I, I mean, that's a, that's a long time ago now. No, Is, have things changed at all since then?
5: It was the house he burned down, not where we played. He burned down where we stayed. Right. Uh, well, um, things haven't changed, really. Okay, well, I can see things have changed, but things have changed for the worse for the common man in Africa, you know, and things are getting better for the, for the few rich people, you know, mm. the ruling elites and uh, these multinationals and neo-colonialist rulers we have, they are all... Uh, they're all living good. You know, if you see when they come on BBC and CNN, you hear how they talk of their business and the progress that we are making in Africa, but the common in Africa still can't afford to eat three times a day. You know, have no power, still no water, you know, no hospital for the children. All our politicians, they get a paper cut and they're in Germany or the U S the next day to see, to see the best doctors because they know that the infrastructure that they've put in place in Africa is not safe. Mm. You know, they know what they've done. That's why they cannot use the clinic. Even when it comes to education, you know, all their children are in America and London because they know that the education we have in Africa is not good enough because they put it there. If it was good enough, they would put their kids there, you know.
4: The fact that the, the, the music is so optimistic... It's such fun, it's such danceable music, and the lyrics are often quite confrontational and and angry. Is is that a, a like a
5: contradiction? Well, I call it a balance, not a contradiction. I think that's why Afrobeats is interesting. It's more of a balance, you know. Uh, people learn more when they're having fun, so it's good that the music is very good and lively. So everybody's interested already. And uh, what you say, they they, they listen. So I think, you know, the seriousness of the lyrics and the enjoyability of the music, you know, balances itself out. You know, making for perfect listening. Mm. You know, education and entertainment.
1: I mentioned before that Afrobeats spread across the world, and there are now thousands of bands playing this style of music. One of those bands is Melbourne's Public Opinion Afro Orchestra. That balance between education and entertainment that Cheyenne Cootie spoke about is a sentiment shared by Public Opinion.
0: depression
3: no profession like this African adolescent. Here's Aaron Stefanis,
1: a.k.a. 1slash6, talking about the band and his personal connection to Afrobeat.
2: We are an Afrobeat band, essentially, that's the main aesthetic of the band. Um, so it is very heavily incorporated into the way that we write our songs and the structures and the... Um, the vibe and the vibe of Afrobeat is just joyous, jubilant, big, uh, celebratory, but also with a message. And we still try and infuse um, ideas of social commentary. And myself, I'm not really political, but there is a political inclination socially in the thing, the topics that we speak about. So, um, yeah, a bit of uh, educated edutainment, if you will. Like you know, we try and. Educate while we entertain, and make sure it's always a good vibe. Yeah, but my fingers trying to feel the fire of my soul. And if I'm educated, what the hell's a fool to know? So I'm a first generation Namibian Australian, and Afrobeat, particularly Fela Kuti um, himself, was very much the soundtrack for a lot of the diaspora as they were settling into the new places, wherever they may be, whether it, Britain or Australia, America, Europe fellow was very much an afrobeat he was the inventor of afrobeat so that was very much what gave a lot of optimism and hope and you know pride to a lot of africans who were displaced and had to lose their own cultural identity and had to try and assimilate and fit into a a new place with new people but as africans and as we all banded together we were able to come together with music and with you know food and mainly music i guess um and so, growing up, Afrobeat was very much a big part of the community and congregations, and people coming together was, you know, some form of Afrobeat, if not just Afrobeat, but African music. As I later on became a musician and had the opportunity to become a part of public opinion as the MC, but I have much more of a hip hop background. But I, I'm very much um, influenced by the style and aesthetic, if you will, of Afrobeat. And um, Fellas messaging and also other uh, iconic African musicians who were using the platform with music to bring about change in their home countries while they were away and eventually being able to go back home and um, build music careers there. So being able to be part of a band that is continuing that tradition that Feller started all those years ago and being able to present that to a new audience, to a new Location is yeah, it's a, it's an honour to be able to do that, so I'm I'm very grateful for the opportunity to do it.
1: Aaron Stefanus says that Cootie and Tony Allen are Afrobeat. They are the benchmark, like the giants of classical music.
2: What Fela and Tony Allen mean to Afrobeat is pretty much like your Beethovens and your Mozarts and um, Bach and Chopin and you know those people who like everyone to get good at playing classical music, you have to be able to play like them. And so, really, essentially, to get good at playing Afrobeat, you have to know how to play a fella tune, how uh, how to play uh, one, yeah, one of the Africa seventy or the Egypt eighty or uh, anything like that. So it's very much. Specifically, a genre that is a, so much attached to those two men that um, yeah, it's a, it almost kind of gets to a point of who, other than them, plays your favorite version of their songs. Even ourselves, as a public opinion Afro Orchestra, we have songs in our set that are fella songs. What Fela's message essentially was, was for us as Africans, even though we are outside and we've had to step away or run away from our, our, our essence to be able to survive and stay alive, his message was not to lose yourself. Don't let the oppressor win by stripping you of who you are and your essence and then once he's robbed you of all of that, then push you away and tell you that you're worth nothing with what fella said he said respect yourself and respect others and be adamant with that respect and making sure that um people get respected for who they are and their essence before what they had to pretend to be and then you wonder why they you know they have to feel like they're not welcome and they're not accepted anywhere because they, they can't go back home and pretend to be this person that they're not and then they the facade didn't work with the people who they're trying to be around. So that legacy of of that is now coming back and there is a lot of black pride and black happiness is really the <laughs> the legacy of it. It's us being happy to be who we are and not feel like we have to fight for it from people who just wish to oppress us and take from us and not. there's no equal... Uh, trade of okay let's trade our happiness and you know let's both be happy with what we've shared with each other instead of you being happy and taking my happiness from me and blaming me that I'm upset (laughs) you know so um, that uh, legacy will never stop but it's becoming more and more evident if I mean if I have the opportunity to be able to say this on radio then you can see that what you know, Fela almost died for, that freedom to be able to say these things, um, his legacy is definitely living on.
1: Afrobeat is a vital sound with a powerful message. It continues to evolve and permeate different genres as bands across the world keep drawing inspiration from its defiant spirit and absorbing rhythms. The J-Files is a Double J podcast. Make sure you like, follow and share. Our producer is Gab Burke with production support from Phoebe Bennett and Sam Wicks. Theme music is by Art Versus Science. You can check out Double J anytime on the Triple J app or at doublej.net.au. I'm Kaz Tran. Thanks for listening.